0: Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. Happy Christmas Eve! And I am really stoked if you finished all the Christmas pies, mince pies, the Christmas cake, the, all of it, Please! That's what it's about. Trust you thoroughly enjoyed it. So, this, this December, we have been looking through what I thought it would surprise more people than it did, but nevertheless, it's a bit of an unusual uh, theme for Christmas time, and that is of the second coming of Jesus. And I explained that we're looking at the second coming of Jesus. Because Christmas is such a time for remembering the first coming of Jesus. And that has been. It was prophesied, came to be, and now the prophecy has moved to the second coming of Jesus. So, seeing as it's Christmas Eve, we're going to look once more into this theme of the second coming of Jesus. And we had a preach a couple of weeks ago that talked about are you ready to meet Jesus? I've called this one, Meeting Jesus for the Second Time. And the second time's not worse, the second time's not boring, the second time is different. And there is a classic scripture about meeting Jesus for the second time, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. But just a reiteration of what Mike already shared with us, and that is that tomorrow morning, nine o'clock, there will be a premiere broadcast from Venture Church. No, not from here. From Venture Church, the church, on YouTube. If you catch it at nine, good on you. If I'm looking around, there aren't many of us with littler kids. I'm sure the rumpus will be up already at five (laughs) o'clock, guarding the Christmas tree and warding it off with borgs and other mythical creatures. But... uh, (laughs) But for the rest of us, we may sleep in a bit. So you're welcome. You can catch it at half past nine. It's fine. It's still there. Then again, next Sunday, the 31st of December, 2023, the end. The end has come. We will again be having an online service. It will be a premiere again. You, You understand what a YouTube premiere is? That it will become visible at some stage with a reminder a reminder button on it. So keep your eye on our channel. Listen to those two messages. They are two parts of the same message. You know me. I can't preach short. When Zach and I were preparing for this, I said, Pookie, you don't need to stress too much. They're going to be about 20 minutes each. And he looked at me as if to say, you're my father. I know you. <laughs> and sadly, he was right. They are, they are comparatively short, but they dovetail together. And that, those are more on the classic themes of Christmas. Tomorrow, I'm going to be looking at... It feels weird in terms of the timeline because I've already recorded it. Tomorrow, I have been going to look at... No, there's no English verbal system like that. Okay, so tomorrow, I'm going to be looking at Jesus in Matthew and Isaiah and about how Jesus was destined from when he was a lump of cells in Mary's womb, for greatness and how that, that worked out and what was so amazing about the plan of God in that. And then as we move to the third of 31st, the second half, welcome the second half of that, of that message on the 31st of December, looking forward uh, to the implications of that in us. So, they are great messages, even though I say so myself. We're going to be looking today, though, at the book of Revelation. So, I don't have a huge number of slides today, but they are all Revelation 1. So, when I, when I uh, teach some of the things that I've learned about preaching, what I'm going to do now is something that I tell everybody not to do. Let's read too much scripture. So we're going to look at too much scripture. And then we're going to do something that is now less common because we don't have print newspapers. But you used to, with the old big form newspapers, do people still remember those? You could look at the front page, and there would be headings. And you could scan the whole of the front page quite quickly. In fact, the columns were designed so that you can speed read through. All of that's Kong. Well, that's Kong. All of that's gone now. The closest you get to that, in articles, if you read articles online, as TLDR, if you know what that is. And if you don't know what it stands for, it's always ironic to me, because it stands for too long, don't read. But by the time you've got to that, you're already reading it. So it's like, why do you bother? Anyway, we're, <laughs> we're going to read Revelation 1 together now. And I want to pull out some of the headings that I feel God is emphasizing in that passage revelation 1 the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to him to show his servants what must take what must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus whatever he saw Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches of Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne and from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his god and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen look he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him And those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him so it is to be amen I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God the one who is who was and who is to come the Almighty I John your brother and partner in the affliction kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me, like a trumpet, saying, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed with a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it's fired in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A double sharp-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen. What is? And what will take place after this? The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. It's wonderful to read scripture and maybe I'm a little bit selfish, but somewhere in there was, blessed is he who reads the words of this prophecy, but also blessed are they who hear. The first headline, Is the first part of the first verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is a single prophecy. So it is, despite its extraordinary and incredibly varied and diverse and exciting visual images or metaphorical images, it is still one prophecy. So this book is revelation. It's not revelations. But that's, I mean, I'm making a big thing of a nothing. But it's important if we want to understand it. This is the one thing that God wanted to reveal. And what is that one thing? Or should I say, who is that one thing? This book is all about Jesus. It is the revelation of Jesus. A very, very different Jesus to the Jesus that we usually think about at this time, to the kind of Jesus that if you asked a a five-year-old in school, who's Jesus? Oh, he's the baby in a manger. It's amazing how many people in South Africa still do know that because it's not really talked about. But if they do, that is their their picture. A baby that even a five-year-old is stronger and more has more self determination than, but that is not this Jesus that John had the revelation of, so it's a singular thing. And revelation in this context means prophecy, this is a prophetic revelation. <laughs> See, it becomes difficult when you try to explain words with themselves, <laughs> but this is a prophetic revelation that God gave to Jesus to give to John to give to you and me about Jesus and about what he's doing what he is doing and that's amazing because as much as John wrote this down 2000 years ago Jesus is still doing these things when we get hung up on the things that Jesus is doing we can easily miss who is doing them this is the revelation of Jesus. And it's, it's super practical. Even here in his kind of introduction to, I can imagine him writing this down and saying, Lord, how am I going to, do I just start with seeing you? Because that's going to totally freak everybody out. How do I give them a bit of context to this amazing thing that you've shown me? And he it seems like he gave him these, kind of couple of first verses to put everything in context. But he immediately, even in the seven verses, links this, ties this, roots this revelation in to real people in real history at a real time. It's not some whifty-wafty, vague, highly principled set of ideas. Just as an aside, I remember years ago, when the so-called Gospel of Thomas, I don't know if you've heard of that, was uh, first revealed. It became very popular. And at the time, the New Age was a really uh, loud thing in, uh, the, in the media. And this Gospel of Thomas had become a huge hit with uh, these New Ages. And I had a friend who was really into the New Age, and I was really witnessing and trusting the Lord that they would break through to them. And they said, why don't you read the Gospel of Thomas? I said, I will if you read one of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But I'll go first. So I found a copy of the Gospel of Thomas, and I read it. It's not enormously long. It's a bit longer than Mark, but certainly shorter than Luke and Matthew. And what it was is all the sayings of Jesus... With the name of jesus removed and with none of the miracles none of the story so it's basically you know now they look back on it now read more more like the quran than a uh, than a gospel it was just saying and you could easily have slotted in there and buddha said or and francis said and i think that's what what i think that's what this person especially liked was it's a gospel that I can be Lord of. Needless to say, it's not a revelation of Jesus. Jesus is not about His wisdom. His wisdom is His, and it's about Him that's important. The fact that seven is a number that's repeated often throughout Revelation just talks about perfection and completion. And I think that word completion is better. The, the Greek word here means both. But if you see it as completion or perfection in the sense of completion, hey, I brought everything to the perfect end, then you are seeing Jesus in his revelation. So the second headline is in verse 5, and it's about meeting Jesus for the second time, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. A little bit later on, it, uh, John says, I heard a voice behind me like a trumpet, and I turned to see, and he sees the lampstands, and then he sees Jesus. This is the John who lent on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper who is known as the beloved disciple. And he is so utterly terrified meeting the same Jesus on whose chest he lent at the Last Supper in his risen glory that it said, and I fell at his feet as though dead. Of course, that isn't the end of the story. Jesus himself touches him and raises him up. More on that in a minute. But meeting Jesus for the second time is as amazing and overwhelming as meeting Jesus for the first time. But notice how he describes him here in verse 5. Because Jesus doesn't stay the same and yet he is always the same. How, the more we get to know him, the more we see of him, the more we recognize him, the more we have revelation of him. The, more, the bigger he gets, or the bigger he seems to get in our own lives. And it's in that that he gets bigger, so to speak. So he is the Lord. He doesn't change. Which is the real Jesus? The, or the that John lent against at the Last Supper? Or the Jesus that he meets again in the Revelation? We'd like to think that it's our choice. I choose. I, I like the gentle Jesus. I like the God of love. I'm not going to read that Old Testament thing. That's got no love in it. Well, you think of that because you've never read it. It's full of the love of God. We don't get to choose the Jesus we come to. He is. We get to choose how we respond to him, how we position, how we prepare ourselves to meet with him. So there's no more gentle Jesus, meek and mild. As I was uh, writing one of the blogs that Nadine referred to and just preparing this and the other uh, preachers that coming up in the next 10 days... I was really struck by this thing that I think I've already mentioned, and that is that the baby Jesus was a real baby. That means that even a four-year-old feels stronger, more in control than that baby Jesus. But that baby Jesus grew and grows up as we allow Him to in us, in our lives. He grows up to not just become our Savior, but the Savior of the world and the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus' self-humiliation, in other words, Him choosing to become a baby, is astounding because it makes Him ultimately relatable by us. But that's not where He stays I really love C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories. I first had them read to me as a child by my father, at least twice. Then I read them for myself in my late teens, and then again in my 20s. And then when I had the privilege of having children, I read to them all of these stories. And since then, I've read them again for myself and again and again. And the, the, the Christ character, the lion Aslan in these stories C.S. Lewis throws in some incredibly profound, almost throwaway comments about this character. And there is one, at one point, um, it's actually a phrase that's repeated, but there's one point that I'm thinking of where the youngest of the heroines in the story, Lucy, is talking about Aslan to somebody else and says, oh, but he's, he's safe, isn't he? I mean, he, he's like a, like a tame lion. And whoever she's talking to says, safe? Nobody said anything about safe, but he is good. And there is (laughs) a real profound truth to that. Jesus is not safe. He will take your life and he will turn it on its head, but it is for his and your good. So it's not comfortable being a Christian. And meeting Jesus for the second time is not comfortable. Just as, if you're honest with yourself, meeting Jesus for the first time was not comfortable. It was wonderful because the joy of being set free from our sins is utterly overwhelming. And it usually makes us forget the snot and trana that got us there in the first place. Meeting Jesus is not a safe thing. But here... John meets Jesus for a second time. The third headline is in verse 8, where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Is that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father? Jesus certainly says it of himself later. So, This is about Jesus and history. This alpha and omega, this is the first and last letter of the the Greek alphabet. I'm assuming you know that. There's a hint in our English word alphabet, which are the first two letters of the Greek alphabet. Why? I don't know, (laughs) because we call them A and B, but they call them alpha and beta. And so it goes on until you get to omega and he's saying i'm the beginning and the end i'm the first and the last what does that mean there's an amazing scripture in isaiah 46:10 where the lord says of himself see i proclaim something new i tell you the end from the beginning <laughs> No, 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 you're telling me the beginning and then you're hoping we get to the end. No, the Lord says, I'm telling you the end from the beginning. And in that sense, He is the Lord of time. I prefer to think of this as He is the Lord of history. And that's where that thing of perfection, of completion comes in. The Lord has a plan. We call it history. We observe it happening. We try and Directed sometimes in our own directions. But ultimately it is his story and he is its Lord and he is directing it and he will bring it to his conclusion. So he does that is utterly mind-boggling to me. Maybe you're smarter than me and you can explain it to me. But it bends my brain how he does it. Sometimes he tells us Really important things. Isaiah 7. Prophesying Jesus' birth. 750 odd years before Jesus is born. Is that like a heads up to the enemy? I don't know. In one sense it feels like it. But he is the Lord of history. He's taking it somewhere. Why is this important? Why is it a headline? Because wherever you are in your life, whether you're in a good season, whether you're in a challenging season, he is still the Lord of history. And he is still taking your history somewhere if you will allow him to. There is a flow to history. History comes from somewhere. And it's going somewhere. And it is directed by Jesus. Verse 9, our next um, headline. I join your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus. Things don't always go as we planned. This is the corollary to he is the Lord of history. Just because he's the Lord of history doesn't mean things always go according to our plan. It was not John's plan to be a rock breaker at age 90 in a quarry on a Greek island. We think the Greek islands are beautiful. And many of us aspire to get on a cruise ship and go and cruise amongst the Greek islands. But your plan, hey, but, is not to take your pickaxe with you and do some rock breaking uh, on, as an aside, on the, or to pay for your cruise, particularly as if, in John's case, the cruise ship isn't coming back for 20 years. Sometimes life goes skiff. Just does not follow our plan. And sometimes the Lord doesn't warn us. Sorry, I'd love love to tell you otherwise. And I'm not talking about sin and its consequences. That too can send us off on the wrong direction. But sometimes life doesn't go like we planned. I guarantee you, John did not want to be on the island of Patmos. If you try and put some of, or all of the records about John's life up to this point into, uh, into context, there's a possibility that he had already been boiled in oil at this stage. And now he's working as a slave, breaking rocks on Patmos. That definitely does, is not on anybody I've ever seen, not on their resume. Or their bucket list, yes. But here is John. Still faithfully serving Jesus. Loving and serving Jesus aren't always the easy option. They're not always, oh, come to Jesus, everything will be okay. It'll be fabulous. It'll be hunky dory. You'll enjoy life so much. It'll be like floating on cotton wool for the rest of your life, if that's what you want. But it isn't always. It isn't always the easy option, but it is the right option always. This is the, is the kind of point at which a lot of people, especially people who have really serious questions, and sometimes those who are looking for a really serious excuse, ask about how can a good God allow good people to suffer? You see, there's this thing in life called sin, and it really, really wreaks havoc in this world. And what's crazy is, sometimes your sin mucks up my life, and other times my sin mucks up your life. How is that fair? There is a mystery here. I'd love to say I have all the answers for this one, but this is difficult. The closest the Lord gets to giving us an answer is the perspective that he's still at work in everybody's life, drawing all of us to an obedience of Jesus because the yearning that everybody have except possibly the greatest megalomaniacs is that there be peace and joy and love on the whole earth. Even John Lennon, who absolutely hated Jesus Christ wanted the same things that Jesus wanted. He just wanted them his way and not Jesus' way. He ends up, he says, your brother and partner in the affliction, but also the kingdom. So it's the affliction that's my current reality. The kingdom that I'm part of now, but is my ultimate reality. And my present reality is the endurance. There are seasons of our lives that we have to endure. Doing what's right, because it's right, without feeling great about it, without uh, sometimes asking the Lord, wherefore art thou, Lord? If you read the Psalms, you'll see that this is nothing new. Many of the Psalms have that sentiment in them. And yet, Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. I think we'd really know if he did. I mean, he would be lying to us if he did, but so he won't. But if he did, we would really know that he had left us. As it is, we just feel like he's left us. Those are the times for patient, faith-filled endurance. Because he hasn't gone He hasn't changed his mind about you, and history is still going somewhere. It Boils down to, our endurance boils down to the fact that we trust in his character, that he's good, but also that he is able, because there may be a good God, but he's unable to bring everything under his lordship. The promise of the scripture is, that he wants to bring everything, and he's able. In fact, a major part of this revelation is how he brings everything under his manifest lordship. And my last headline for this morning, verse 17, when I, John, saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid." That's profound. When we meet Jesus, we meet Him on His terms. In a sense, this is the whole of what the book of Job is about. I've come to really enjoy reading Job. It's not short, and I used to find it really, really, really stodgy. Now I find 1 Chronicles really, really, really stodgy. But Job is incredible. He spent 30-something chapters defending himself against his uh, so-called friends who are telling him, if, God's, if, if you're not feeling the presence of God, then you must be the problem. You must have sinned somehow, not done what's pleasing to him. And he is very firm on, I have not. I have followed the Lord faithfully. And the transition from him talking to his so-called helpers, to meeting God, in that section, he moves from trying to justify himself to his friends, to saying to God, what's going on? I haven't done anything wrong, Lord. You know that's true. Now, what is going on? The most amazing thing is when God answers him, he doesn't answer him. He just tells him who he is. And that's what That's what John experiences here. Oh, Lord Jesus, it's so good to see you again. But when he sees him, he's utterly terrifying. Utterly terrifying in his magnificence, in his holiness, in his purity, in his beauty, and fortunately also in his love. So when John is completely overwhelmed by meeting Jesus... Jesus comes and touches him. And in touching him, he says, don't be afraid. I am able and I do make you to stand. There's there's a reality even now as we endure and persevere through times when we don't see and feel the Lord's presence, that in that endurance, when we do break through, or when he does break through, and meet with us, that He still touches, and He still acknowledges the reality of our fears, but He overcomes them in us as He touches us and raises us up. He still touches. The confidence we have to stand in the presence of God, which is a real thing, is not an arrogant Uh, confidence. It's not a, hey, Jesus, my mate. My Jonah. It is a real confidence based on the fact that He has touched us. If that is your perspective or your experience of Jesus, that's okay. It's just not enough. Because when you meet Him for the second time, You will stand because He enables you to stand. So, what have I been saying? What have my headlines been? Jesus reveals Himself to believers. Believers who are prepared to look and to listen. When you think of all the detail that John had to remember, he was ready to look and to listen. And therefore, Jesus revealed Himself to him. We learn about Jesus, in a sense, at Christmas. We meet him by faith, but we will meet him a second time face to face. Are we ready? It's a question we already asked a couple of weeks ago, but the question remains, are we ready? Jesus is the center of history. He is the center of your history, and he's taking it somewhere. Are you on board? Doesn't mean that he's tied everything up. It doesn't mean that that perfection, that completion that I started off with, has already happened yet. But if he's done everything that he's promised so far, if he's fulfilled so much of it, i.e., Christmas coming in the first place, then we can have confidence that he will do everything that He has also spoken, but we haven't seen manifest yet, despite opposition and despite problems. Jesus is not in the manger anymore. Just as much as He's not on the cross anymore, He's not in the manger anymore. He was and remains the Lord of history. Is he Lord of yours? Can I ask you to stand? Because I want to, apart from get blood circulating through your legs, I want to lead us in prayer, a prayer of response to what I've been sharing, a prayer of response to the Scripture, a prayer of response to the revelation of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes so that you can do business with God. Super easy to be distracted by whoever you're standing next to. God deals with us as individuals. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions based on the things the Lord's been speaking to us about over the last few weeks, and then I'd like to lead us in a prayer of response to that. Are you hopeful, full of hope, and prepared for Jesus coming back, for His second coming, for meeting Him for a second time. Are you ready to meet Him face to face? When you look at your life, have you been building with gold, silver, and precious stones? And are you ready for, as John experienced, the surprise of meeting Him? Lord, as we have read This wonderful scripture that's just so full of so much revelation of who you are. Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you. We want to be part of the history that you're working out. So, as we stand here, having heard your word, having been stirred by faith, we want to yield ourselves to you. If you're here this morning and you, you recognize in your own life that you have been trying to work out your own history, and that maybe you've known Jesus before, maybe you haven't, but there have definitely been ups and downs, but even in the ups and the downs, there's always been something missing. That something missing is Jesus. Jesus the Lord of history. And He is asking to become the Lord of your history right now. So I'd like to lead us in a prayer of response to that. Father, thank You that You sent Jesus. And Jesus, thank You for coming. Thank You that we remember You at this time of year, especially. But as we read the Scripture, we see and then confronted with a different Jesus, a powerful Jesus, rather than just the the helpless baby. And this morning as we've seen that, as we've seen that you're taking history somewhere, we want to be on board with you. So we recommit ourselves to you. We ask you to forgive us our sins, our willfulness to live life our own way. Forgive us. Take the reins again, we ask. Lead us into your perfect plan for our lives. Thank you that no matter who we are or what we've done, your plan remains the same. And you can always get us back on track. We say thank you for that. And by faith, we accept and believe. And we stand in awe like like John, who you touched and raised up. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are touching us right now and raising us up so that we can stand with a confidence that is not based on who we are, but based on who you are. So we thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We commit ourselves to you, to the Father. And We say, come Holy Spirit. And we say it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.